0: And now, coming to you for the Gershwin Room, high above the Coot Street Motel 6, it's Jonathan Stroud and Gary K. Wolf with very, very special guest Carmen Maria Machado on the Coot Street Podcast.
1: And and thank you again for the introduction. Um, and welcome, Carmen. I, I wanted to start off by congratulating you on not just these incredible honors. I mean, you, you, you're getting the National Book Critics Circle First Book Award uh, in a couple of weeks as uh, a finalist for the national book award what's interesting to me though is that you're also in the running for shirley jackson awards and nebula awards and you're you're straddling these two worlds in a way that i think is very good news and uh, and congratulations on being able to do that because it's been a problem in the past
2: <laughs> thank you <laughs> yeah it's it's actually uh, pretty nice uh, people ask me about it a lot. So, but yeah, it's, it's, I, I feel like my career, I don't know. It's like one of my favorite parts of my career is that I'm sort of able to, is that I'm, I'm sort of in these two communities. And I feel like I try to do my best to do a lot of like, um, what's it called? Like diplomacy, not diplomacy. but I'm always like trying to get like lit folks to read Sophia Samatar, you know? So I feel like I'm always doing a little bit of like recon or something. Um, <laughs> Well, I guess that's well, a good place to start. Where,
0: where do you feel like you you started? Where you, you were most at home? Was it in a genre background? Was it in a literary background, or or a combination of the of the, the two of them?
2: Um. Well, I uh, I mean, when I was growing up, I read a lot of genre, and that I mean, I was reading a lot of Bray Bradbury, a lot of fantasy, a lot of horror. Um, and then, yeah, and then, you know, I sort of was, I don't know, I was kind of all over the place as a reader, you know, I, I was reading a lot of, you know, I would read like magical realism, I would, I'd read like Marquez, for example, and I'd be like, you know, really taken with like magical realism as sort of a, as a, a genre form and also like sent beautiful sentences. And I, I sort of felt like I was always sort of like engaging in this like non-realist place. It was really interesting to me. Um... And then, yeah, and then, you know, I went to the Iowa Writers Workshop for grad school and Mike's, um, and it was funny because I, when I was sort of, I was sort of writing, like I started reading a bunch of like realist short stories and I was trying to write them and everybody was like, well, you know, these are, these are fine, but like, you know, it, your stories get really interesting when you sort of write like moments of non-realism, like that's when your stories really like spark and come alive. So you should, you should like try that. And also you should read all these people. And they were like, you know, you've got to read like George Saunders and Kelly Link and Karen Russell and Helen Yemi and Shirley Jackson and Angela Carter. Um, and so, yeah, I just started reading and then sort of just fell into this like amazing hole of, of, I don't even know what to call it. Like, uh, I'm just called it a happy hole, which sounds really weird, but like, a, I was just suddenly like reading nonstop, like all of these people who I had never read before and then, yeah, and then, like, halfway through Iowa, I um, this dear friend of mine, E.J. Fisher, who I didn't know, he, he came to the Iowa Writers' Workshop and was like, have you heard of Clarion? And I was like, no. Um, <laughs> and then suddenly I had this, like, introduction to the genre world. So I feel like it was sort of, like, my earliest reading experiences were sort of genre based, but I feel like my earliest sort of literary community experience was more lit based, and then I sort of found the genre community. So I feel like it's been sort of a weird, um, a, a weird mashup um, in various ways, depending on if you're talking about like the actual genre itself or like the communities that are around them.
0: Sure. How important was something like Clarion to you?
2: I mean, Clarion was amazing in that I felt it was really nice to sort of get, like, all of those, all those different teachers with all those different sort of areas of expertise kind of all at once. Um, And I felt like, I mean, you know, I had just finished up at school, and so, you know, it wasn't as if the workshop part was new to me. or You know, because some people came to Clarion and they had never done a workshop before, but, like, by that point, you know, workshop was kind of old hat for me. Um, But I really loved getting to, like, work with all those teachers and like meet all my Clarion classmates and just like play around in a bunch of different genres and also be forced to write like so many stories all at once, most of which are pretty bad, but a couple of which were not mm-hmm. bad. Um, so yeah, so I feel like Clarion for me was like less about sort of, um, oh, this is so new and exciting, which it is for some people, but more it was just like a way for me to just like really this like get out there even further than I already was. Um, Right. So yeah, yeah, I really loved it.
1: Yeah, there, there have been a number of writers who who went to Clarion as students, more or less. I think to cement their what they were already doing or get validation. Right. I think uh, Jonathan, you can correct me, but didn't Margot Landigan go to Clarion as a student before she taught there, and she'd already had she to- did. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Yes, she did.
1: So that kind of thing. Uh, it, it's fascinating. Your experiences at Iowa are interesting because I'm guessing that 20 years earlier at Iowa, uh, you wouldn't have been sent to the likes of George Saunders or Karen Russell. Um, there was a tension there between genre and non-genre people like Joe Haldeman went to Iowa. Uh, and yeah,
2: yeah, I, I think, yeah, I think the tension was there like 20 years ago, but also like the current director of that program has been the director for over 10 years now, Sam Chang. And she's like amazing. And, um, yeah, like uh, when I was there, half my classmates easily were writing non-realism, easily. I
1: um, another writer who reminds me of, well, who you reminded me of, one of the things I wanted to say, and I, I, I didn't say this when I wrote the review, but when I was reading Her Body and um, Other Parties, I had this feeling, which is a feeling I really like to get, uh, of I didn't know you could do that. Uh, the last time I got that feeling, I, I can remember the last two short story collections that gave me that feeling. One was fairly obviously Kelly Link's first collection, "Stranger Things Happen," and the other was uh, Mary Rickards uh, "Map of mm. Dream, which you may or may not know. Uh, no,
2: I did not. Wait, what's the name of it?
1: M M-M M She writes under the initial M, um, and huh. she has three collections out. Uh, it was interesting because she also was did not have a degree in writing at all uh and had been told by various people to try to keep these fantastic elements under control (laughs) finally gordon van gelder said no (laughs) let them loose (laughs) she was uh, she won the Crawford award several years ago so so there is that sense of just uh wonderful experimentation in these stories which um which it does remind me of Kelly Link, but it reminds me all the way. Well, if they go back before Kelly Link and and M. and yours, the I'm going back to my high school years, practically, when I discovered Donald Barthelme. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And there's there are a couple of stories, actually not the ones in the collection, but some of the other ones, uh, like well, your your comic piece on rabies, that look a lot like old classic Donald Barthelme.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I I also feel like there's a lot of, um, yeah, that there's that sort of genre of like postmodernists that are like really interesting to me. Um, and I also, you know, there's like writers like Kevin Brockmeyer, who was like sort of in that Kelly Link era where it was like that sort of like literary genre fiction that like played around with form a lot and also just like experimented with like a lot of modes. Um, like his, his collections are like that too.
0: So, when did you actually start selling fiction? Because you've been writing non-fiction off and on for a long time.
2: Oh, it's actually the opposite. I actually wrote fiction long before non mm-hmm. So, let's see. I sold my first story... Ooh, God, when was that? 2011, probably? Was that um, Difficult
0: at Parties or before Difficult at Parties?
2: Well, it was... It was before that. There were a couple stories before that that I sold, but like pretty recently before that. Um, so that so that was that, and so mostly I was doing fiction for a long time, and I actually sort of kept trying to do nonfiction and was really struggling to. Um, to to write essays like I really I wanted to and I had a lot of ideas but like I couldn't really make them work um and then yeah about maybe maybe about four years ago I started publishing essays um and I, I am still I remain like I'm very slow at nonfiction so like fiction I can tear through a draft of a fiction story pretty quickly um but nonfiction like I write maybe one essay a year like it just takes a lot out of me and it's it's just like a different sort of head process for me um
1: yeah. One, one of your essays, which I thought was fascinating, was one I think it was in the New Yorker about about Lois Duncan. Oh, and yeah. i would not thought about that in years. I know a number of women who all read Lois Duncan. They, uh, she, Lois Duncan is like the preteen Shirley Jackson, I guess, because all these people read her when they were like 11 and 12 years old. And today, most people know that movie based on her novel. I know what you did last summer. Uh, but I wonder if that reading something at that young age that was so kind of cross genre even then made you think about story in a different way.
2: Yeah, I mean, she her novels were really interesting to me. And, you know, she I mean, she wrote I mean, you know, I read them in like the 90s. She wrote them in like the 60s and 70s. Um But yeah, no, I I really, I mean, something about her work, you know, where it was always like, you know, she centered young women's lives. There were always these very like eerie, it wasn't always non-realism, like some of her books were just like sort of thrillers. So like Killing Mr. Griffin, right, about these kids who accidentally murder their English teacher. Um, So she just had these like really, this really interesting sort of psychological and horror sensibility that I just found very, very intoxicating, like a little bit gothic, I don't know. She, I, she really like spoke to me in this way and I sort of discovered her by accident and then I just tore through her whole body of work very, very quickly. Um, but yeah, no, she was definitely, I think, I think an early influence in that way. Um, and yeah, there was just something about the way she wrote. And it was funny cause actually when I was rereading her work for that essay that I wrote when she died a couple years ago, um, I was reminded of Shirley Jackson, like re rereading through the text, which I hadn't looked at in a really long time. Um, yeah, there's just something about her sensibility that's really fascinating. I mean, like, she wrote mostly novels. Like, the writer whose short stories really changed the way I think about writing were uh, Ray Bradbury, who I also read a lot as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, there was this one particular Ray Bradbury collection from, like, the eighties this really big like omnibus that they had at my library and I checked it out constantly. Mm. Um, and yeah, so he, he, I think I sort of think is why my, my sort of addiction to short fiction as a reader and a writer. Um, but yeah, the Lois Duncan, I definitely think there was something about those like female experiences and Gothic spaces and, um, just sort of eeriness that I, I really responded to in this really intense way. Uh, So, yeah, I just, I loved her.
1: It's it's a good balance because Bradbury was not known for doing much in the way of women characters.
2: No, certainly not. No, 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 (laughs) no. Like, there were a lot of things left to be desired. I think what I liked about Bradbury, and it was funny because that omnibus was so interesting. And, you know, years later I read that, like, you know, Mm -hmm. he supported his family with his writing. So he wrote a lot. And that's why some of the the stories, like, really vary in quality, right? Because some of them are, like... You know, it's fine. It's not great. And some of them are like, you know, brilliant, (laughs) you know, mind shattering. And so, you know, and I'm like, oh, that makes sense if you're like constantly writing to feed your family. Like that, that makes a lot of sense, right? Um, But yeah, but with Bradbury, I feel like there was this sort of like, it was the way he sort of bounced around from genre to genre and, this sort of the eeriness of his stories and the way they sort of hinged on these like very strange little turns, um, and metaphors. And I don't know, I, I found his work just really, yeah, it's certainly, certainly not much in the way of female characters. Um, but I definitely really, really loved, um, the, I don't know, there was like a sense of play in his work that I always found very interesting. And I don't think only as an adult that I really realized what that was, like that, what I was responding to, but as mm-hmm. a kid, I just, I found myself reading those stories over and over again. Like I just couldn't get enough of them. Um, So.
0: So do you remember when it was when you first sat down to try and write your own work, what it was like, what you were hoping to do with it?
2: Well, I mean, I feel like there's been like several sort of phases of that. Um, So, I mean, when I was in college, you know, like I was trying to write, but I, 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 I had trouble with like, I guess, structure or, like, plot, Um, you know, I, I, like, I couldn't figure out how to, like, tell a story beginning, middle, and end. Um, I was, like, I didn't know how to, the feel of it, like, the feel of constructing a narrative that way. So the way that I sort of got around it was I would retell stories. So I would, like, read, like, I had, like, I would write a story about, like, Noah's Ark, but it was, like, a contemporary story about, like, a couple who's having, like, marital problems. But, like, the structure is, like, Noah's Ark and, like, the husband and, you know, thinks God's speaking to him, whatever, whatever. So, like, that's sort of the way that I sort of figured out how to do it as an adult. Um, but, yeah, but I feel like that was sort of my problem in the beginning was, like, A, trying to figure out how to, like, tell a story, but also trying to figure out like, what it was that I was interested in because I don't think I fully understood. Because now it's like, oh, my own psychology has been sort of laid bare for me. Like, I know exactly all <laughs> that I'm interested in like it seems so obvious now but when, like back then I was like do I write about death or love
0: or what do I write about <laughs> no you know
2: <laughs> like I was just I just didn't you know my own I didn't know my own mind well enough and I think that's a thing like when I teach undergrads like that's sort of a thing that I talk about a lot is like knowing your obsessions and knowing your mind and sort of getting to that place where like you have like, a rich space from which to draw inspiration or ideas. Um, But I did not feel that way when I was, you know, 20. So, like, I just, you know, I just felt like I wrote in this almost, like, random way, where I would just sort of see an image, and I'd be like, oh, that's a nice image, and then try to figure out, like, a way to, like, integrate that image into a story. But it was all, like, very random. Um, And it really, I wasn't really until grad school when I, like, started reading all those writers that I mentioned before, and then also, started to kind of understand my own mind a little better and then i was like okay like i clearly want to write about things like sex and violence uh-huh. and you know all that stuff and i and 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 gender and you know um narratives and women's bodies like those are all the things that i'm apparently very very interested in uh and ghosts things like that and then i also had this like mode with which to do it which was this like you know horror adjacent non-realism so like yeah it just took me a while to like figure that out um
1: well you there's yeah. also this uh, what i'm fascinated about is uh and this is this is again one of the things that i think connects you to kelly link and other writers this fascination with finding forms of discourse which we normally don't think of as storytelling um there is uh, i mean obviously the, the most famous example um, would be your law and order svu story <laughs> Uh, <laughs> we, sorry i'm just shocked. Okay, this is very clear. Like, like tv guide price
2: people thought about it. <laughs> well no
1: but, but that's that's one there's uh there's there's a story uh which is not in the collection uh about uh crowdfunding a trip to the underworld to visit your sister uh, so the, yes. and, the, and that kind of thing and i've seen other stories like this uh in the last few years stories in the form actually jonathan one of your year's best then mm. this year's best you have a story in the form of somebody's senior thesis essay um so and, and what fascinates me about this or for that matter the husband stitch which is just partly an anthology of all the urban legends that you could pack into a story in what amounts to a story none of these are conventional forms for storytelling
2: Yeah, no, for sure. Um, and it it definitely, I am, I like form. I mean, I think about structure and form more than I think about, you know, it's like every writer has something in, in fiction. They think about a lot. Like some people think about character a lot. Like I think about form and structure way too much. Like it's just like this very sort of preoccupying thing for me as an artist. Um, Yeah, but I mean, it's also, this is not like, I mean, I'm really interested, for example, in like the French literary movement, like the Olympians, right? And like, Oulipo has been writing stories in the forms of other things, you know, like Harry Matthews wrote that story, whose title I can't remember, where it's like in the form of a a recipe, you know, Um, like that's, you know, that's been around for a million years. Like, I'm just sort of I think for me, it's like right now, like what are the forms that I'm the most interested in? And in this case, right, the two that you mentioned are very like contemporary, right? Like, um, you know, one is like a crowdfunding website. And then the other one is not just like TV guy, but it's sort of like a Netflix binge from hell, right? Oh, yeah. um, and so, you know, both of those are, are sort of forms that like I'm interested in sort of in this, in my sort of my contemporary existence, Um just because it's like it sort of gives me like new avenues into new modes of storytelling. Um and I think that sometimes people do write stories in forms because it's fun and there's they don't give a lot of thought to like why it's in that form, which I think is like a thing people do. Um, but yeah, like I'm really I don't know, like it's something that I really focus on and I feel like I'm sort of constantly like trolling <laughs> not, not trolling. Trolling is the word I'm looking for. trawling the the depths of um, like non-literary texts to try to figure out like what is a way in which I can tell a story um, or like which of these forms can I use or like if you think about like Pale Fire right by Nabokov like that's a you know that's a, a, a novel being told as a piece of criticism but it's like this weird novel you know what I mean so like that yeah. you know and, 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 and I think there's something about those forms that excite me very much that I just think are really interesting
1: I, I guess in a way it's 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 a very old technique in the sense that, uh, you know, the 18th century epistolary novels were a way of right. using another form to construct a story. And now we've got Law and Order SVU. But I have to ask if you are actually a fan of Law and Order.
2: Um, I am. I'm like a very reluctant fan. Like, I feel like that story is sort of a simultaneous love letter to that show and also like a critique of it. Um. Because, <laughs> because, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm really, um, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I, I have a lot of feelings about it. I think it used to be better than it is now. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it changed showrunners after season 12. And it the the worst version of Law & Order, which was Criminal Intent, the guy who ran that show went over to SVU. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you could tell because the show's quality just desi- did declined precipitously. Um, after that, so, you know, I have a lot of feelings about it, but I do think it's just a really interesting lens through which to examine, like, narratives of sexual violence, and I think that, you know, there's just, like, no better way to do it. I'm, like, just sort of surprised that, like, I I feel like some people don't, like, that's, I I feel like that's, like, the number one story in that collection that people will will say, like, I didn't quite get this, or I didn't really like it, Um, but for me it just seems like, I don't know, I'm really proud of it, and I really think it helped me get at some things about sexual violence narratives that I hadn't quite sussed out for myself before.
1: No, it's very, very impressive. one of the things, it's about the show. It's not really about the the actors in the show. But one of the things, because my partner watches the show, and so I've seen it. And um, who's the lead actress again? Um, Uh,
2: Mariska Hargitay.
1: There's something, okay, J.G. Ballard would have loved this show. This is a complete digression because Mariska Hargitay (laughs) is Jane Mansfield's daughter and Jane Mansfield right. connects with a whole Marilyn Monroe auto crash kind of thing that Ballard used right. to write. So it, it occurred to me that if Ballard had been watching the show he might have been thinking along the same lines you were.
2: Right, right, exactly. I mean I think also you know like as somebody like I do watch a lot of TV, I play a lot of video games. When I'm but I don't and I and I do it you know for pleasure but also when I'm watching them like I'm thinking about the storytelling i'm thinking about the structure i'm thinking about the techniques i'm thinking about the aesthetics like those things are always on my mind even when i'm just like playing you know my 20 millionth hour of like bloodborne or whatever or i'm watching like right now i'm watching er and i have like so many thoughts because it just went on hulu so i've just been like binging er um and just being like wow this is amazing i just so many thoughts about this so yeah so I feel like it's sort of inevitable that I wrote a a story in like a tv structure because um I just watched so much tv and also like you know speaking not to constantly go back to Kelly Link which I do a lot but like you know Magic for Beginners like I love that story and I feel like that story like gets at something really fascinating about tv that's like a little bit it's like different than my obviously much different than my story in a lot of ways but like I feel like she captures something about that um, that's really important.
1: Well, the idea of a secret TV show that nobody knows about when it's going to be on and that sort of thing is uh, it's, its kind of a – there have been a few stories like that. Daniel Pinkwater wrote a story like that, one of his children's Book Blizzard Music. Oh, Daniel Pinkwater. God, I haven't thought about him in a long time. It's, it's interesting to go back now that you've more or less become who you are. Now that you're looking at things from this – more literary perspective to look at some of the things Pinkwater did uh with his young adult novels and they seem to be completely of a piece with what we're talking about.
2: Oh interesting. Okay. I'm about to go back to him. I you know I, ha- I really have not read him in so long, but I can I can see I can see that.
1: Mm-hmm. So. There was another story uh, the other thing we we've we've talked a little bit about uh you know connections with these kind of marginal things like Shirley Jackson uh there's some science fiction in some of your but it seems to me that you're clearly often edging toward horror fiction which is something else that kelly says she's very attracted to even though very little of what she writes is genre horror in any definable sense and i got the same sense here one of the other stories which is not in the collection which is really spooky is a school shooting story um Mm -hmm. did that make you feel creepy (laughs) a couple of weeks ago
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, yes, but also, like, I I mean, not to be, not to be um, cold, but, like, I mean, there's so many school shootings, like, like, I wrote that in response to one of them, and I don't even remember which one, you (laughs) know, uh, because there have been so many of them. So, like, so, like, I feel like I don't even feel worried about it anymore, because I'm just like, oh, yeah, it's just, like, another, it's just, like, another one of those, you know, Um, which is not to say that I don't take it seriously, but, like, I don't, yeah in relation to that story, I'm just, like, you know, I wrote that story like in the middle of it and it's been happening since I was a child so like, you know
1: Oh yeah, there was a story Jonathan, was it an Andy Duncan story or a Jeff Ford story? It was a Jeff, oh, Ford's, Jeff Ford
0: story Yeah, about ar- arming students Yeah yeah, yeah. Which
1: was, yeah,
0: it was shocking, shocking and yet it seems prescient and, and timely today as we seem to be living through that kind of a horror yeah. But like, uh, but I guess that yeah, that's, I, what, that's what Sorry, yeah, go ahead
1: no, no,
0: no, go ahead. I was going to say, I guess that's what that kind of fiction does, though. Um, it unpacks these moments, lays them bare for you, and gives you a chance to understand them for a different angle. And in Jeff's case, obviously, with that story, look forward at something which you thought was impossible and satirical and dark as a commentary on what was happening. And it's just shocking that the world we're in seems to be turning into that world.
2: Right. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. Yeah. Um- um, I mean, isn't that what genre fiction is supposed to do, right? It's just like it's getting at all the all the things before the rest of the world actually gets to them, right? Yeah.
0: Well, yeah, um, but how often do these things actually do the things they're supposed to do? You know, it's like this is one of those yeah, really yeah. rare ones where it just seems to you know uh, have shockingly become become true. Have, right. have have you felt that's kind of happened with your own work at times?
2: Um, you know, I've had this really funny thing happen because okay, so uh, you know, this book came out last fall. I sold it two years before that and I was writing it five years before that. So I've been writing it for about seven years, you know, it's been about seven years since I started writing it. And I feel like people are like, isn't it weird how your book is so relevant right now? Like, you know, in terms of like thinking about gender and like, you know, in the, you know, with Trump and, and all that stuff. And I was like, I mean, yes, in the sense, but like, I didn't write it like I wrote it for a long time before this. And like, you know, also thinking about like, you know, the me too movement and like, how you like how those things sort of relate to each other. And, and they were just like, well, I was just like, well, you know, like women's lives have always been garbage, like through all of human history. And it just so happens that like right now um, we're sort of coming to this like weird crest or this weird head. But like, I didn't write this book in response to like Trump and our current culture that's happening right now. Like I wrote it long before that, but like, of course it's relevant because like those things haven't changed. Um, so I do feel like there's that sense where like if you're riding a certain wave in that way, um, it will be relevant. It, it's, you're not just responding to like a single event; like you're responding to a cultural mood that persists. And so it's like it's like that's not going to become dated for a long time, um, if so, ever. So
1: it, it, it also relates to your to your interest in form, also because when I was looking at some of your essays, one of well things that are somewhere between essays and and fiction, I guess. You did a piece on how how I should have known Trump would be president, or something like that. Um, yeah, let me see. I forgot. How I should have known Trump would be elected president, which reads like a short story, even though it's not. But I was thinking about that in terms of the kinds of fiction and nonfiction at the same time. Well, there was a story that J.G. Ballard wrote in 1968 called "Why I Want to Fuck Ronald Reagan," which Reagan. <laughs> only wanting to be president then he was not even i think he was governor of california and you read that now and you think okay he's identified fault lines in the culture that are only now coming apart Uh, and i don't think that that was meant to be prescient at all it was meant to be just extremely i guess um, exploratory introspective Mm -hmm. critical Uh, but now it looks like he was thinking way ahead of his game
2: right 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 yeah i mean i think and i i guess that's just you know if you're if you're thinking if you're if i mean think about writers is like writers identify patterns right and like writers are paying attention and so i feel like it makes sense that they would be like huh like i have a sense of how this is going to shake out it might not happen right now but it's probably going to happen at some point uh-huh. and then it actually does like that makes a lot of sense to me actually
1: one thing i'm always curious about and i this is just a easy question to answer i suspect is that some of your stories that had been nominated for awards were not included in the collection. And I remember asking another writer, I think it was John Crowley, why he left out one of my favorite stories. And his answer was, I'd already sold the collection and got the advance, and I wasn't going to give them another story for free, which makes all the sense in the world. Yeah. Oh, that- interesting. Um, so, yeah, so I
2: guess... Um, no. So actually the reason that there's like a lot of stories that are not in the collection is because, you know, I think of a short story collection as, you know, not just like a number of short stories that happen to be in one book, but like stories that are sort of in conversation with each other. Um, so, like, for example, like, Help Me Follow My Sister into the Land of the Dead, while I absolutely love that story, like, is not in conversation with the stories in the collection. I don't think it would have fit. I think it would have been weird to have it in there, and I did not want it in there. Um, mm-hmm. Similarly, Descent, like, again, a story that I love, but, like, just does not belong in that collection. Like, it doesn't really speak to those themes in a way. But, like, an- there- it's possible that I would write like, another collection that would be themes really <laughs> from the Um, that would actually fit. Do you know what I mean? So, like, yeah, like, I wanted them all rotating around that sort of very tight, like, this almost, like, tight little universe, you know, where it was, like, bodies and sex and gender and, like, it was this very, 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 like, focused sort of theme. And so, yeah, so I just left, I just left stories out that didn't
0: well, I guess that really touches on something I want to talk specifically about is how did you come to what was the process for starting putting together her body and other parties? Where, where, where did that start in your life? And what were you? I mean, you've touched on a bit. What were you hoping to put together with that book as a, as a thing as your, your first ever real book in the world?
2: Um, you know, I mean, I was in grad school trying to put together my thesis, which was like short stories. And so the thesis that's at Iowa actually has the same title, like the thesis, the bound thesis in the library, which like nobody will see (laughs) unless you're like physically in the University of Iowa library. Um, and it has the same title, but like the, um, and there's like three overlapping stories and that's it. Um, and so Yeah, like I, you know, I I, I sort of like had this book and then I graduated and then I was like, well, like this collection is not like I could take away most of these stories and like because they're not great. But there's a handful that I would leave in there It was I think it was especially heinous, difficult at parties and real women have bodies. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I just started writing new work that either fit or didn't fit into the collection. So like I wrote The Husband's Stitch and I was like, oh, wow, this totally fits in this collection. Like it just makes sense that I put it in there. So I put it in. And then at some point I wrote, help me follow my sister into the land of the dead, which was commissioned by John Joseph Adams. And I was like, I love this story, but I don't think I'm going to put it in a collection. Like it doesn't really fit. Um, And so, yeah, I would just sort of like, as I was writing stories would just stick them in or not stick them in. Um, And then at some point I had a book's worth. Um, And then I decided that that's, that was a time to sort of go around and try to try to sell it.
0: Um, Was there a moment in in the process where you looked back and you thought, or you looked at what you had, you looked at the manuscript and thought, this was a complete, full sort of a statement that you wanted to make with the book that it addressed these issues about sexuality, about gender, about horror and violence that you wanted to talk about?
2: Yes. Um, It's funny. So actually, I... um, I went on submission, so I had, there was actually, so the story eight bites in the, in the collection was the last one that I, mm-hmm. the last one, the last new one that I wrote. Um, and I was working on it when we went on submission. And so it was not in the cl- the, cl- the first round of submissions for that collection that my agent sent out. It was not in that collection. And, um, because it was still in progress. And so, you know, it went through like a lot of major publishers and there was a lot of like we really like this, but you know, um, sort of stuff that kept happening. Um, and I was like, okay, so this is like not happening. So then my agent was like, let's regroup, you know, let's let's think about some of the large independent publishers like Gray Wolf and Coffee House and Tin House and those folks. Um, and I was like, yeah, I was, and then like in between that happening because it just took a long time. I said, you know, I actually just finished this story Eight Bites. Let's throw it into. The collection because I actually feel like I wanted to write about fatness, but I, I, you know, and there wasn't really much about it in the book already. And so it felt, and then I did, and I was like, oh, that feels complete. Like that feels like the sort of note that I needed to hit that I hadn't hit before. That's a thing that I think about that would have fit in the book. Um, and then, yeah, I remember looking at it being like, I'm really proud of this weird little thing that we're sending out that no one wants. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
2: and then, you know. Obviously, I think Grey Wolf bought it and I was very happy. But,
0: um. <laughs> well, I was going to say, I mean, w- yeah. when did that happen? And w- was there that sort of classic feedback that you're led to believe happens? Like, a, you know, wouldn't you rather sell us a novel first, all that kind of a thing?
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of publishers asked about novels. I mean, it, yeah, the reality is right that short story collections just don't sell as well. And so. You know, everyone wants, everyone thinks of it as like a courtesy to like publish a short story collection, you know, even though like I love short stories, like I love collections. I will pick up a collection over a novel any day of the week. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, like I, uh, uh, yeah, so I was getting that and, or, or, you know, or people would say like, we really love this, but we already bought a collection for this season or like we really love this, but, you know, whatever. Like, it, it was mostly, I felt like it was mostly about the fact that it was a collection. Like, a lot of people were like, I really wish I could buy this. But like, you know, that's just like very, you know, it's like publishing, it's, it's hard, to, it's hard to take risks. Um, And it was, a. it was in every way, it was a very risky proposition. And so, yeah, and then we just got to Grey Wolf, and they really loved it. And they were willing to take that risk. And you know, they were an independent, you know, they're a large independent publisher, but they're still an independent publisher. And so, they had the ability to kind of take, take a, a different risk than like a, a major house. Um, yeah. And when I talked to the editor, like his vision for it was so clear. Like he was like, I just really love this. And here's what I'm thinking about with edits. And like, and he just was really speaking my language. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. Um, so yeah, you know, it worked out really well, but definitely the fact that it was a collection was, you know, when I was looking for agents, I had the same problem. Like agents, most agents did not want somebody who, uh, uh, you know who hadn't um,
0: written who hadn't, a novel yet? Like, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. And, and yet it
1: was possible. I mean, uh, just to to their credit, I think Small Beer has done a good job of bringing. Oh. Out- uh, and in and, fact and, they reprinted one of Mary Rickards, They've done Ted Chang. They've done Christopher Rowe. Uh, but again, you're right. It's a small press. They can actually make money doing that in a way that a large house will will, will look at it and say it's peanuts. It's not worth our effort. But you started out with Bradbury who wrote, you know, one, not his novel was not as good as his short stories. It wasn't bad. But basically, his life was that of a short story writer. And I think of George Saunders, whose life has been that of a short story writer. He gets lauded for a novel, which is actually about 700 short stories. Uh, to right, right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, certainly
2: the sort of the designation, and I mean, I think about, you know, right now, I'm working on several projects, but among them is a a novel in stories. Um mm-hmm and you know i'm thinking about them as short stories like i'm completing them as short stories and so that's just how i'm thinking about them but like you certainly like i imagine that if that's the next i mean whenever i sell that book if i finish it like people will want to think about it as a novel because it's just easy it's easier to sell you know um and i think that that i mean there's always going to be like no matter what genre you're in or what you know, there's always going to be this discussion of like you know how do you best sell a book and, you know, and how do you best define a book and put it into a certain category? And like, you know, if it makes it easier to sell George Saunders' novel, if you're like, Oh, cause yeah, like that novel is like very, very fragmented uh-huh. and does have this like weird, like flash fiction or fiction, short fiction quality, despite yeah. being a novel, like that's just, or, or that it's both at the same time, you know, it's like, there's always going to be this like weird back and forth about like, how do we think about, like, how do we think about these things?
0: <laughs> I, I think what I really love about Her Body and Other Parties, uh, and I could go on about this at painful length, but I'm not a, a, great, a great believer in the short story collection as a unique and distinct form, but I'm a great believer in the importance of the first short story collection, the one that kind of puts you out there in the world and declares to the world who you are as a writer, what your voice is and it's a much more coherent thing than your individual body of stories that have appeared before at hand, because this is the thing people are going to pick up uh, you know obviously you were aware of the kind of subjects you wanted to talk about in this book and there's obviously what you're saying is it also evolved to a final point with the manuscript were you also uh, sort of did you also have that feeling that this was you putting yourself out there that way
2: oh yeah i mean yeah you know it's so funny because I feel like I feel like I had this thing, this feeling, you know, people would say to me, like you only you know you only debut once, right? So like you know you, you there's only one first you only have one first book, and you know you better love it. and it's like you know, it's weird how like a first book is usually like it's something that you have been creating over the course in many ways over the course of your life, right? And like you know, there's a the sensation where I think there's something about first books that's really interesting. Because then once you sell your first book, after that you never have that again, and you're always, you know, you're like now I'm pursuing new things and new thoughts and new ideas, and like that's a totally different process. Um, but there's something about the first book that's so special and so interesting. And so, yeah, but I'm, I mean, yeah, like I'm really, I'm really proud of it. And I feel like it really encapsulated like a lot of things that were on my mind. And I feel like, you know, like when I was in my twenties, I feel like I, I always wondered like, who am I as a thinker? Like, who am I as an artist and who, like, who am I as a person? And so I feel like this book was like, it was like almost like that was sort of coalescing into something and I suddenly figured it out. Um, and that's really special and very strange and very exciting to me. I can't remember <laughs> why I started that idea. But, <laughs> <laughs> but,
1: but with the amount of uh, accolades you're continuing to get for this, though, I wonder if this uh, might give you a kind of sense of liberation, like you, you don't really have to go out and prove yourself. I will think a couple of examples that come to mind um, are people who, well, okay, One 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 writer who comes to mind is Brian Evanson, got very good literary response to his um, his first couple of books, and then clearly felt that he could release his inner alien versus predator novelist and <laughs> write, uh, write gaming tie-ins and write movie tie-ins and write uh, all the stuff he wanted to write because he, like, had established a beachhead and he didn't need to prove himself I, 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 again. And... Um, there are probably a couple of other examples I could think of but you, you know what I'm saying that maybe uh, you do you feel a little bit liberated now by the kind of uh, attention you've gotten for this book
2: um, yes and no I mean yes I yes and, and in the way that you're describing with like Brian evenson who I really love but like you know in my next book that I've already sold to gray wolf that's actually due to them this fall as is this, a very, very weird nonfiction project and I don't think I could have sold it if I didn't have the kind of um, you know, cred that I've established with this collection. Um, mm. And that's pretty cool, right? That, you you know, I get to, like, it's like, well, I've written this, like, pretty, this, like, very well-received book, and now I can write this, like, weird thing that I have no idea if anyone's going to like it, but, like, I really want to write it. It's really important to me. So there's that. Um, and, yes, that is very freeing, and also in the sense that, like, I do want to, like, try all kinds of other things. Like, I actually had this deep, deep desire to write for video games that I've had for a long time, and I'm like, maybe someone will ask me. I don't know. Um, but yeah, certainly there is like a lot of, um, that is a kind of freedom, but I also sort of feel like there's a little bit of a, it's like a little scary cause it's like, oh my God, like what if I, re- I published my second book and someone's like, well, this is terrible. Like really that first book, <laughs> was real fluke, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> like that's like my first nightmare. Um, they were like, we thought she was brilliant, but actually it was a freak accident and, you know, or whatever. Um, so yeah, so I feel like it's kind of both it's a little bit of both honestly um, even though obviously it's very exciting but yeah I definitely do feel liberated in a way because it's true that I can now like just do my weird do weird things and even I guess even weirder
1: I guess so the weirdness is validated uh, to right some extent. Exactly. I, I think that's where <laughs> it, that's where the sense comes that uh, if you can get away with that you can get away with stuff that, that they that we haven't even thought about yet
2: Right. Exactly.
0: And I, I guess I, I, I want to ask as well. I mean, did the National Book Award nomination for her body and the other parties change everything? Did it change anything? It, you know, sort of. Did the world sort of completely transform uh, after that?
2: Um, I mean, it did in the sense that um, it has made a lot of things easier, um, and it sort of like it sort of like opened up a space for me in terms of like traveling to events and like you know like it, it, it sort of just yeah it just gives me an opportunity just to like be out there in this certain way um and it also was the first award the book got or I mean it didn't I it was a finalist it didn't win it but like you know it was the first the first award that the book had received because like you know the national book awards come so early in this in the award season like it's funny because now now with the Crawford, it's like now we're entering into genre award season, which is like totally different. But like the lit award season has been happening. It's like weird how the timing what? is different.
0: Well, yeah, from my perception, um, was was uh, Her Body and Other Parties actually published when it was nominated for the National Book Award? Was it out? No,
2: it was, it, yeah. was, it was nominated like three days
1: before the book
0: came
1: out. Partly because I administer it, I take a certain pride in the fact that the Crawford Award finds these books uh, before anybody else. I mean, we, uh, Mary Rickard was one example. Sophia Samitar is one example your book came out in October. And by the time anybody read it, it was getting nominated for all these awards.
2: Right. Right. Well, yeah. 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 So like with them, cause it's like weird how like, so for like the genre awards, right. It's like, you know, the, the book comes out and then the award season is the following year. But like for a lot of those little words, like those processes begin, like my publicist probably submitted that book for consideration for the national book awards, like six months before the book even came out. So yeah. So, or more, who, know, who knows? So like, yeah it just it just all happened really quickly so yeah it was weird the book hadn't even come out yet and it was already a fine it was already shortlisted and i was just like well that's that's happening <laughs> that's so strange <laughs> um so yeah no it, it's it's just like a weird it's just like a weird fluke i think in the it's or not a, a fluke but like a way a, the system is set up
1: it's worth remembering that people like ursula Le Guin started with eight paperbacks and joanna ross started with I don't think it was an Ace paperback, but it certainly was a paperback. In other words, careers didn't use didn't used to begin this way. Right,
2: right. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, d- don't get me wrong. No one's more shocked than me. I, I don't fully understand it either. I, you know, I by just it is what it is. I don't
1: know. There was another essay that you'd written. Uh, I can't remember where it was or when it was, but it was it was an account of uh, Joanna Russ's. How to Suppress Women's Writing, which was interesting Mm -hmm. to me because the the tone of the essay was that this is a book that not very many people know except science fiction people. Mm -hmm. And the science fiction feminist community, that's practically a Bible. I mean, that is a very well-known work. And her criticism is, I'm just looking at a manuscript about her work now, her criticism is astonishing. And yet she, again, is somebody who never managed to get she, well, she did to some extent, but never really managed to get outside of the science fiction writer ghetto, um, which I thought was Yeah, was but, yeah um,
2: I think. Yeah, ahead. I mean, honestly, that book, like that book is so good. And when I when I think about how like no one's right, when I think about how no one outside of this really specific area has read it and I think about how important that book would have been to me if I'd read it in college, you know, I mean, I just want to like throw it at everybody. I just want to like buy like a gun or I should say like a book gun and just like blast copies of it. Like literally like just like a t-shirt gun, like just out into the audience, be like, here, like you get a book and you get a book and you get a book. Like everybody gets a copy of this book. Everybody should read it. Um, Yeah. It's like weird to me how it doesn't have like, it just doesn't know, you know, like other, criticism and i, I don't
0: under, i just don't understand it yeah so let me ask you then uh now that her body and her other parties have been out for what, about four or five months and it must be into about its 65th printing by now uh i was gonna say what, what's next what are you looking for next I mean, you mentioned you're, you're working on this book of non-fiction i mean i assume that i mean as, as you're touching on that almost anything you want to do is possible right now or it must feel like it is so so what's the next fiction for, for a year that, you, that you're working on
2: um, I mean, I'm working on this, the sort of the aforementioned novel and stories. I'm working on a, a YA book. I'm working on this nonfiction book. Like, I am i sort of have, like, writer ADD. Like, I'm kind of all over the place. Like, I i work on multiple projects at once. Like, I can't focus on a single thing. And it's just the way that I write. Um, it's just the way that I create. So, um... Yeah. So I, I, I don't know. So like the, 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 the nonfiction book will be coming out next cause I've sold it and it, you know, it's due to my publisher like that. I have to finish. Um, that's another thing that's weird after you sell your first book is then suddenly you have deadlines to your publisher for like new books, which is like yeah. such a weird idea. Um, but yeah, so, so yeah, so that's, but then after that, I don't know what's coming out next. And I also have like a book of essays started. Like I'm just sort of very slowly like creating a bunch of other projects. Um, And I luckily am going to be at a residency this summer, and then um, I won the Bard Fiction Prize, so I'm going to be on Bard's campus in the fall, Um, and that that just means that I'm able to. Thank Uh you, thank you. So yeah, so I'll be able to just like work on everything. So hopefully I'll finish
1: something. (laughs) That's (laughs) the plan. Say hello to Bradford Morrow. He's one of these mainstream writers at Bard. He runs the writing program. Yeah. And yeah, he's yeah. Very, interested, very interested in genre fiction. He's a good friend of my friend Peter Straub. He's written sort of fantastic. He's somebody who started out very much in the mainstream and now wants more and more, it seems to me, to do the sort of thing you're doing. And his novels, uh, some of which are very good, Trinity mm-hmm. Fields, increasingly have these sort of fantasy tendrils growing up in them. Uh, they're not fantasy <laughs> yeah. novels. You know what I mean?
2: Right yeah he was one of the judges for that prize um so
1: and the editor of conjunctions which has been a very genre friendly journal for the last several years now karen fowler's been Jeff ford and so forth so so that's a good
0: healthy sign i think
2: Yes. Yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, it looks like we're getting towards the sort of the, the top of our hour, so it might be a, a time to, to to wind up. But I would just like to first of all congratulate you again on her body and other parties, and to thank you so much for taking the time to join us today.
2: Of course, thank you. <clears throat> Excuse me. Thank you so much for having me.
0: And Gary, I guess that's that's us for another week.
1: That's us for another week. We could go on for another hour or so because there are a lot. I know. <laughs> But fortunately, you and I will be able to see each other at ICFA when you're receiving this year's Crawford Award.
2: Yes, um, I'm very excited.
1: And that'll be a lot of fun. And we can talk to some of the people we've been talking about tonight. Um, yes. <laughs> but and, 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 and then we expect we expect fully that you'll be nominated for other in-genre awards before the year is out. It's, I it's hope horrific. so. But it, 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 it's, it's just great that somebody can get nominated even already for a Shirley Jackson and a Nebula and a National Book Award at the same time, because that would have been astonishing to Ray Bradbury to think that could happen. I know. (laughs) This is a parenthesis also. But we were talking about this when, when Le Guin died, and we were looking at all the honors. And, of course, she had the National Book Medal, but she never got a National Book Award. Bradbury got the National Book Medal but never even got nominated for a National Book Award. Right, Uh, right. So now it seems that maybe the stuff people actually write
0: gets nominated before they have to become (laughs) legends. Well, on that serious note, Gary, thank you once again. And uh, hopefully we will see you down the road somewhere, maybe at World Fantasy, and, of course, Gary will see you at Dick For Yeah, okay.
2: Yes, excellent. Thank you. All right, thanks so much. Have a good night.
0: You Good say, day, you Jonathan. Okay. And <laughs> Gary, uh, we will talk to you next week. Until then,
1: this has been the Cood Street Podcast.